Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome on in. It is the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, September 29th. John McKechnie and Mario Puig here getting into all of the week for action. We even have a London game. We'll get to the Thursday night game as well. Every single game on the NFL week four slate. Here we go. Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McKechnie and Mario Puig hanging out with you. We are coming off an exciting week three. And boy, it does feel like a lot of injuries have cropped up across the league as you know the Wednesday injury reports have come out. It looks like a lot of star players are, are dealing with those early season bumps and bruises. So let's let's start things out with this Thursday night game, Mario. We have the Bengals playing host to the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins obviously coming off of an exciting uh, victory over the Buffalo Bills. However, you know, it was a pretty taxing win. You know, their, their defense was on the field in the heat for a ton of plays on, on Sunday. Now you get the quick turnaround. Got to get out of Miami and and go up uh, to Cincinnati. And that, that I think, is, is in in large part why, uh, why the Bengals are favored, despite, you know, not, obviously not getting off to a great start in their own regard, but you know, what, what are your thoughts on this game, especially considering, you know, what, what's going on on, on the Miami side injury wise? Yeah, I think you got it right. I mean, they spent so much time on the field that there's just no way, especially even if it was a full week of rest, they might've been a little bit taxed, you know, come Sunday, let alone today. So traveling can't help. Joe Mixon's been uh, pretty inefficient through three weeks. And if that doesn't change here, the Bengals have something wrong with them that I, I don't know if they can fix exactly. So uh, not not to truly make a statement like if Joe Mixon has a bad game here, he's toast for the whole season. But I'm, I'm kind of it's like, man, the at the very least, he's he's kind of just whiffed on a quarter of the opportunity he was supposed to have. And in this case, maybe the prime setup yet. So uh, I do think he gets going, though, and I, I think the Bengals <clears throat> kind of take care of this. I don't know what to make of any of the injuries, really. I mean, you got a couple big ones with the Dolphins, too. Uh, sorry, not even aside from uh, Tua and Jalen, you got a couple on the, the Dolphins that are pretty big. Like, Taron Armstead's been playing through some toe issue, but he hasn't practiced in two weeks, and this is a short week uh, this time. So maybe he's not quite himself. That would be a big problem if so. Tua um, uh, 
with his back concussion, uh, whatever it was that he suffered. Uh, don't know what to make of that. Don't even know if we're really getting the full story with what he's dealing with, let alone, you know, guessing whether we can infer what, what's going on for, from uh, what, what they tell us. So I I don't want to assume everything's great with the Dolphins side, I guess, even though they are saying, like, all those guys, and Xavier Howard, too, uh, is questionable. They're saying, like, all those guys are, are probably going to play. So, uh Waddle, I feel like, has done this a few times, even last year, where he he kind of has like limited, uh, limited practice participation and limited practice volumes, and he still seemed okay. So um, I guess we can, we can expect him to be you know more or less himself. But the two apart, the Armstead part, and I don't know what to make of that exactly. So yeah, I would I would just lean Bengals because it just it's it's a lot working against the Dolphins at the moment. I think. So how would the Bengals have to adjust their, their game plan in order to, to kind of escape this one with, with a victory? Because it does feel like, you know, like we've kind of established here that the, the chips are stacked against them, be it the, the personnel and then also just the, the timing coming off of a game like, like the one that they just played on Sunday. Like, you know, it, it just doesn't feel like they're built to necessarily keep the uh, Bengals offense on the sidelines by like sustaining these long drives. Like I think, What's great about Miami is is their ability to you know have the big plays, uh, the quick strike type of offense. But you know at the same time, uh, I don't think that they can sustain the, those you know like 10, 12 play drives that, that eat up some clock and keep Joe Burrow and company on the sideline. Yeah, road games, short weeks, uh, the temperatures drop over time. That's all going to be working against the Dolphins' offense, despite their fast start. And uh, I know they're a warm weather team, so at home it won't be a problem. But uh, you know, they're lucky that this game is now actually not so much on a Thursday, but you know, early in the year, they're lucky they're getting this game. Cause if it was uh, a month from now, I, I feel like that's, that's a much worse projection. Like as the temperature drops, as, as wind goes up this, this Tua dependent offense, this, this, this system where they're dependent on Tua for ball control, like that, that just isn't going to play in the, the playoffs or, or the, the cold weather. So uh, I think I think we can kind of we can kind of expect them to start faster than they finish, uh, and I don't know how they're going to make any if that happens. I don't know how they're going to pick up the slack with the ground game. Like I just don't see the personnel there. Uh, they're relying on Raheem Mostert to kind of be like their between the tackles runner, which is not going to work. It hasn't worked yet, and it's like they're going to break him if they keep doing that. So uh, they're on track, I think, to end up with Chase Edmonds as their only healthy running back within a few weeks, and if they have a third and one, it's like, well, hell, you might as well throw it to Tyreek deep. I mean, what's the point? You're not moving the chains with these guys. So I would have, I would have thought they'd add like a Jordan Howard kind of guy by now. Cause they're going to sort of need one, whether they realize it yet or not. Uh, in this game though, um, I don't know. I don't know what the dolphins do differently. You know, it's like, they're just dependent on Tyreek and Waddle to move the ball. Those running backs can't really do it. So they have to just keep doing what they've been doing and hope it keeps working uh, on the Bengals side. They just got to uh, not turn the ball over basically like let just let those dolphins defenders get gassed uh, by, by keeping them on the field as much as possible. And then second half P Ryan and Mixon should be able to just stomp all over them. And you know, with, with the Bengals and I think it's going to be an issue for them all season. We saw it through the first two weeks when they, when they face an elite pass rush, it, it can really uh, mess up the, the entire operation for them. Obviously, going up against the Jets last week, that was the perfect kind of get-right spot for them. Are the Bengals or are, are the Dolphins able to bring anything off the edge uh, pressure-wise that, that could kind of foul things up for, for this Bengals passing game? 
Well, Jalen Phillips had a pretty good year pass rushing last year. I want to say he had like eight and a half sacks on like 550 snaps or something like that. And he doesn't have a sack yet. So based on prior rates of per snap production, he's a pretty good bet to get at least one sack in this one. I just don't know if it's going to be the kind of sack that, uh, you know, is it, is it going to be, is it taking the Bengals from uh, second and one to third and six, or is it taking them from second and 10 to third and 16? Like I'd, the second one is how you really, you know, start to lay a beating on an offense, but I think it might be more like the first one. Like I think whatever, whatever heat Burrow gets in this game, it's more likely to be in situations where they can kind of like shake it off. Even if he, even if it's a sack, even if they don't complete the pass and move the chains, it's like the cost of that, won't be what it's been in these first few weeks. Like they'll be able to get away with it. Although again, I'm assuming that the ground game is way better than it's been. So that's kind of what I'm, I keep going back to that point because it's just, I think whatever goes wrong with the Bengals, it's going to be going wrong in parts of the field and in situations that just are more advantageous to them. Like it's not going to, it's not going to be like, you know, that that Pittsburgh game where everything that went wrong was like, a back-breaking event. Uh, it's going to be mm-hmm. more like they can kind of just slick it off and, and keep going, keep keep giving it to Mixon, and you know, especially if Tua is anything less than sharp in this one. I, I just don't think the Bengals need to play with much urgency. Right. So, uh, you know, looking at, at that, and you know, the potential for for slower drives on on the on the Bengals side, uh, the forty-eight and a half or forty-seven and a half, depending on on where you're looking for for the total. Do you think? with everything that we've kind of laid out here that, that maybe this game's coming in under that. Um, I don't know. I, I, have, I have no good sense of picking over unders, I guess I should say, but it, Oh, I, I don't either. Uh, well, I, I went back and looked pause, at my record though, from last week and ugh. just having, Oh, sorry. Just having guys like Hill's also due to go off, you know, like Hill, uh, if he has a big game, then it's like, whatever is a big game for Tyreek is the kind of, production that can just sort of flip a game you know uh, either either flip it from its current momentum or just you know take it over entirely so it's like the Bengals could pummel them for three quarters and uh the Dolphins could still get 14 points in the last 10 minutes or something like that so uh it's like the one team I don't want to pick the under against even though mm-hmm. maybe it's the one time I want to pick it against them Right. No, that that may that definitely makes sense. It uh, I'd, I'd probably uh, try to stay away from from betting the, the total in this one as well. Let's get on over to foggy London town as we uh, begin the Sunday slate breakdown. Uh, we got the Vikings going up against the Saints. Uh, this game, not New Orleans, uh, no home field advantage for the for the New Orleans Saints, despite uh, them being the, the home team in this matchup. Vikings slight favorites in this one. I mean, you know, have, have the Saints really like played any kind of sustained good brand of football thus far this season? I mean, other than kind of mucking things up against uh, the Buccaneers early on and then making the comeback against the Falcons, you know, I, I felt like last week it was kind of a, a bigger indication of where they are. And I don't think the, the Vikings are great necessarily, but, ooh, man, I, I think this Saints team is ticketed for potentially a top 10 pick, especially with the, with the injuries they've got in the quarterback room. Yeah, Jameis not practicing today, and I, I don't want to misquote the guy, but I thought Dennis Allen said he thought Winston would practice today, so I don't know if that marks some sort of escalating concern or whatever. It was concerning enough, just Jameis Winston with broken back or, or back fractures, multiple back fractures. Mm-hmm. Like, 
we we barely able to work up the courage to go with him when he's completely healthy. So you don't need that part put in. Uh, if we got Andy Dalton at quarterback, that's kind of just a wrap right there. Uh, I do think that the Vikings have some pretty substantial issues to work out themselves. Like I don't think they have any. Like as much as the Saints have been kind of um, like you you pointed out, it's not sustainable the way they've been uh, getting done whatever they have gotten done. Uh, the Vikings, eh, there's there's something there's something just wrong about them too. Like they, I, I'm not convinced of their defensive direction, and that's not as important as the offense. But the offense too. Uh, Aaron Glenn had Kevin O'Connell in hell last week. Like I know that's I'm not just trying to take credit from Jeff Okuda or whatever, but um, those DBs were on those receivers every step that they took. Adam Thielen wasn't getting open. KJ Osborne wasn't getting open. Justin Jefferson obviously wasn't getting open. It wasn't just Okuda that was the 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 thing determining who who was you know covered on a play. He wasn't covering everybody. And yeah, I know Amani Orowarie must have set a record for the most penalties ever uh, against a defensive back in a single game. But um, even if we say it's like, oh well, the Vikings were getting um, the Vikings were just getting like manhandled by the corners. The refs weren't throwing a flag. You know, most of the time they're getting some flags. They already got six on Orowarie alone. You know, so it's like. Holding a lot, getting away with it a little, whatever. It, it more so was the case that the, the lines just were on them. And they don't have the personnel to explain that. Let's just say Okuda explains his own part. The other two, it doesn't explain. It, the ex- explanation is O'Connell was figured out. O'Connell was doing too many things that the lines knew about and the lines were on it. So if you want to play, you know, the, the kind of football where the, the opponent and everybody in the world has your whole playbook, that Zach Taylor style of offense, you better have a, a massive personnel advantage over the team you're going against. And I would say last week was an example of them having a massive personnel advantage and still not being able to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. So this could be an ugly game. I imagine, does London have a certain, ten, like, you know, how sh- Thursday games, whatever, short week games tend to make uh, low scoring games. Yeah, the there- under, under it hit, uh, it was... One and one last year, and before that, uh, in the last ten, it was uh, seven and three to the under. Yeah, this could be a really disgusting game. Um, yeah, I don't know what gives. I don't know. Something's got to break, I guess. Something's got to give, but I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe both defenses get gassed or something, and then maybe Kirk Cousins gets enough going late to kind of eke out a win. But it doesn't feel like anyone's really gonna seize victory here no it yeah it'll be the doing of of the losing team that that that, you know kind of determines the result in this one so do we expect a bounce back from from the likes of justin jefferson and and you know what do you do if if you have dalvin cook obviously did not practice uh this past wednesday due to that shoulder issue that you know we've, we've talked about previously uh definitely has had plenty of those in in his uh in his history yeah, it's it's a weird thing with Dalvin because it's like his his shoulder is glass, but it's the kind of glass that for some reason seems to glue back together within a week or 10 days every time. It's like every time he gets the injury, he's popped for the game. But then, you know, instead of ending up on IR or whatever, or needing like surgery on the shoulder, I guess he probably needs surgery on the, sol- on the shoulder, but just isn't getting it. Uh, so he's going to. Uh, keep coming back in five to ten days from shoulder separations over and over, chronic shoulder separations, and uh, just like lose the ability to lift his hand over his head uh, by the time he's forty. 
instead of getting sh- shoulder surgery now. Um, I, I guess he's going to play like he's not, it seems like he's not supposed to like the last, last year when it was Steelers or something, he had that two, he had mm-hmm. his biggest game of the year in a situation where doctors conventionally would have been like, yeah, you can't play. So uh, I would guess he plays there for like, what's, why would it be worse now? I don't know. Maybe it is. I maybe there's something I don't know about it, but uh, I would assume Dalvin plays and um, Madison, it, it's it's not the setup obviously that he's if he would have been like a starter but or if he is a starter but um I, the Dalvin re-injury risk is real too just because that Steelers game happened doesn't mean it would happen the other nine times out of ten like for all we know the other nine times out of ten it's like he gets popped in the second quarter and has to leave again or something so uh, Madison is closer to the field than he was before the injury but it it still seems like it's Cooks. Uh, there, you know, if, if the same as last year happens, it should still be cook anyway, Justin Jefferson. Um, I am worried about because again, the, the lions knew the plays last week and the, the saints are going to know the plays this week, unless O'Connell figured out what he was tipping off. But, um, Justin Jefferson is so good and the target volume is still so high that it's like, even if it's gotta be ugly, he'll, he'll find a way to get through eventually. You know, he's not going to finish the year with like 7.2 yards of target. No, no. So it'll it'll come back. Um, but yes, still some overall concerns. You know that week one was so dizzying uh, that I, I think that there's kind of like an almost unfair expectation that he do, he just simply does that every week. And that how screwed is the Packers do. defense? They <laughs> they got pants by O'Connell, and now O'Connell just looks like another Zach Taylor after one week. So um, we'll see. And then, you know, on the New Orleans side, if it is Andy Dalton, you know, I, th- I think that Chris Olave has kind of put himself on, on the radar to, to start and just kind of conventional. It was a good uh, run, teamers. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I'll remember it fondly. Those Olave Rookie of the Year tickets sure as hell aren't happening. Maybe one game of Dalton he can survive, but uh, what, what are we going to – is Jameis Winston's multiple back fractures going to be substantially better in a week? Is it, he just needed a week off for his – and multiple points broken back to heal. It uh, doesn't seem like it's a good way out. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe if he's sleeping in like a hyperbaric chamber, maybe, but uh, even then, uh, I don't know. Jameis has all those cool exercise videos. Maybe those are going to help. I, I'm not totally sure, but I'm either sure way. he's got a great idea, whatever it is. <laughs> Just like <laughs> someone chasing him around. Um, and then let's see here. Uh, when it comes to Alvin Kamara, Limited on Wednesday. Imagine he's just going to be one of those guys this year that is limited a lot, but but plays a lot. But uh, your expectations on, on him after rushing for sixty yards uh, this past week? I I don't know what's a fair expectation with him. Really, I mean that those ribs got to hurt. Um, I guess uh, you like it to be what maybe his best game of the year. It's just to this point, it's just that's not saying anything at all. So. Uh, yeah, he's, he's got to do okay here. I, I'd, I'd be surprised if he's a dud or whatever, but uh, not not vintage Kamara either. It's more like the the slog kind maybe that we saw early last year uh, where he was getting like 20 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown kind of thing. Do you, do you think he, he breaks out of that eventually, or, or is this going to kind of be the Kamara season? I, he'll, I think he'll get out eventually. I just don't – It's it's tough to tell – where he's at in his career, you know, by conventional metrics. Cause it's like 27, he just turned 27. It's like, that's not truly old, but he's not a big running back either. And he's had a pretty sizable workload at this point, like especially last year getting 
240 carries in 13 games was kind of ill-advised, I think. Uh, not that it would explain anything about where he's at. I just mean like that, that kind of body type, you don't really want to, you don't want to make him a workhorse. You want to make him a guy who does a lot of damage on a modest workload. Uh, it's, it just suits him best and it, and it prolongs his career the best. So uh, the way they were using him last year is like more the way you should use like a Mark Ingram kind of like, uh, you know, between the tackles guy like that, that just, uh, it, it doesn't really help him and it, and it actually might have taken a toll on him. He might be for his body type, the kind of workload that he's taken, he might be aged more like 30 than 27, you know? So he might actually be closer to decline than we'd like to think about. And uh, if, if that's at all in play, then, then it would be, you know, an, a, certainly a new development, something that has never been the case with him before. Like whatever else has gone on with Kamara system products to some extent or not, He's always been elite for his own part, too. So if he's now just some kind of pretty good and the offense sucks, too, like that's kind of a lot working against him. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that, that's a good way uh, to frame that. Uh, we're going to grab a couple of questions here in a second. Uh, but first, a, a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Okay, let's see here. So, no one is asking, uh, would you trade away Jalen Hurts for Justin Jefferson if you had Tom Brady as your backup quarterback? If the other yeah. person is willing to take Jalen Hurts in exchange for Justin Jefferson, then uh, yes. Uh, go yeah, ahead I would do that. Take that Actually, one. though, I'd see, I'd, I'd, I'd try to really squeeze the most out of this Hurts hype and get a little greedy and see if you can maybe get a little more out of them because I bet you might be able to. I know that it's just the Jefferson optics are so ugly and I think people are going to do this thing where they're like, Oh, Jalen hurts can be like Lamar and he's not, uh, the system is helpful, but it's, it's going to get more stressful than he's seen so far. And when the stress hit last year, he folded pretty much every time. True, true. And, and you know, even if he doesn't fold this time in, in the, in the face of the, those adjustments, uh, I still think it's going to be re- almost impossible to, to sustain the the kind of level that, that, the that him and the Eagles offense, are at right now. So that, that's a good call just on capitalizing on, on momentum in the trade market. Let's get on over. We got Falcons, Browns, Browns, slight road favorites here. The number was a decent bit higher earlier in the week. The, the Browns were like two, two and a half point favorites. Now it's down to one, uh, one and a half as they go up against Atlanta, Atlanta coming off of the, that game out in Seattle and the, the Browns having played that ugly game last Thursday night, kind of already kind of washed from our memory against uh, the Steelers. So your thoughts on, on this one, I feel like this sets up pretty well for the Browns personally, but we can, we'll get into it. So your thoughts here. 
Yeah, it definitely sets up well for the Browns. Um, you know, getting getting a little bit of extra rest, and the Falcons probably you know wore themselves out a little tiny bit traveling out west as they did, and uh, close game, hard fought game. They they might be uh, they might be in a place psychologically that they're not used to, and they you know there's there's a sort of fatigue risk with that. Um, I guess uh, you know I was I was so worried about Nick Chubb having a lot of the valuable touches taken by Kareem Hunt and that basically causing a big gap between real life Nick Chubb and fantasy Nick Chubb. Because in real life, obviously, he's just probably the best. And in fantasy, people barely care about him uh, outside of DFS slates, you know. So it's it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's setting up, though, to be a year where it's it, there actually isn't a big gap between real life Chubb and fantasy Chubb. It's like they're getting him a lot of that work right now even with Kareem Hunt getting a pretty big workload. So uh, maybe that changes after the Watson suspension expires. But right now it seems like the model is there's slack for both Chubb and Hunt. And in a setting like this, that suits them perfectly well. I mean, it almost may, it's just kind of like they have to take a layup this week uh, on offense. Anyway, they do on defense. They might be a little challenge. I don't know. Like, I just hate the, the results Joe Woods gets. I, I don't, I don't have any specific, criticisms to make of the guy but i think it's only because i haven't watched that closely and i haven't tried to but uh i i feel like there's a big disconnect between the results joe woods the cleveland defensive coordinator gets especially from those corners like i don't know how there's so many open receivers against this defense when you have denzel ward maybe maybe just wards overrated and i'm i'm like maybe that's my error in, in the thinking there but uh in any case these corners have not gotten the results that you would expect them to. This past defense hasn't gotten the results you'd expect it to. Uh, the run defense personnel is trash, so I think they got to worry about that just categorically, no matter who they're going against. Going against Arthur Smith, if he has those Falcons ready to play, like that's that's dangerous for the, the Cleveland run defense. And uh, even if Denzel Ward's good, even if Greg Newsom's good, those two match up pretty poorly with a guy like Drake London. I mean, no one right. really matches up that great with Drake London kind of why he is the way he is but uh those corners are tiny or at least ward is tiny and newsom's like maybe average size so london could kind of keep it going pretty well here i I didn't think he'd start this fast and i guess there's a little bit of like touchdown dependency in his production so far but if they get into scoring range and they're throwing a touchdown it's either london or pitts and so far understandably enough uh, pitts seems to get a lot of defensive attention and if you're a defensive coordinator, you probably would say, yeah, we'd rather lose by London than lose by Pitts. So uh, that could keep going on here. And if, if London's on a, even even like even a really good corner, even if Denzel Ward is a really good corner, being a 5'11", 185 or whatever he is, it's it's just not easy to go against a 6'4", 220 type like London. So I think the Falcons offense can keep it going. I just don't I don't know what their defense can do here. And then uh, is is a game like last week kind of how C- Cleveland has to win it, where the the other offense kind of fails, and then with with, with uh, their own part on offense is kind of having those long sustained, you know, Nick Chubb and and Cream Hunt driven uh, type of offensive sequences, or and can that you know carry over in this spot against Atlanta? Yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting because uh, you don't see an offense deliberately built like the Browns' offense is built. They're pretty clearly. Uh, they're, they're kind of acknowledging in the design, like, yeah, we can't throw. So we're going to we're going to very specifically dial up our targets that we, you know, somewhat selectively 
put out in the first place. Like we're not going to try to run up 40 pass attempts on you. We're going to try to throw it 25 to 28 times. And as many of those pass attempts as possible, we want to be like dialed up sort of scripted targets. And in this case, which is to say we want like 45, 50% of those targets going to Amari Cooper. And we want it to go to him on those plays because the entire scheme, the entire theory of the play design is specifically to free him up. And it's usually like, uh, it's like playing off of some look that they gave them in the ground game three times on the drive already. You know, it's like it, it, it's setting up to be an off tackle chub carry and you get your personnel on defense kind of leaning that way. Cause you already saw it and you're sick of getting beat on that play. And then it ends up being a little bit different. And you know, these, the, the routes are set up to free up just a quick opening for Cooper and bam, another first down. And you kind of just keep doing that until you get to the end zone. And it worked last week. Um, the Falcons defense has overachieved. I don't know how, I don't know if they can keep it up. I mean, it's gotta be, it's Dean Pease, I think, uh, the defensive coordinator. And he's, he's one of those old Baltimore guys too. So mm-hmm. he, he knows a lot of tricks. He can do that kind of like wink Martindale kind of stuff. Um, so I can, I can imagine them keep, keep on uh, overachieving, but they really are overachieving. And I, I don't know if you can really do your, you can't like smoke and mirror your way out of the problem of Nick Chubb being a hulking, uh, really fast human. Yeah. At, at a certain point, like, you, uh, yeah, no, there isn't a, a, uh, a trick in the bag to really stop that other than getting up there and having the Montana state rookie, uh, try to st- try to tackle Nick Chubb in, in open is, space. Oh man. I didn't even notice he was playing already. Uh, Trey I mean, Anderson. Yeah. He had the uh, he had the punt block against the okay. Rams. Yeah, if he's if he's on the field, like that guy doesn't really know how to play line. Like he he's not even supposed to yet. So if he's out there, that's just like Chubb. Uh, you know the it doesn't apply position analogy wise, but he's he's definitely thinking what uh, D'Angelo from the Wire as the kicker in the Water Boy says <laughs> his onside kick. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> there he is. Strong reference. Love that. Um, let's see anything else to, to get from this game. Obviously, uh, I think you're, you're starting quarter L Patterson without thinking twice about it at this point, but you know, like how high do you have him kind of ranked projected, uh, for, for this week? Is he like a high end RB two at this point? I guess so. I didn't even see his season going like this at all. I thought he'd have like eight carries a game for like whatever, 40 yards, maybe maybe four or five rushing touchdowns and i thought he'd have like 400 to 600 yards receiving something like that uh he's he's been a just like a bruiser like a pure runner so far so uh that's impressive on the one hand but i don't think it's the most sustainable thing for him on the other i'd kind of like to see them get throw more in general if they could and, and get patterson some targets so that he's not running between the tackles so much like he he's a high runner he's like six two or something so uh you can't keep doing that with him. Yeah, that, yeah. We'll we'll see how that usage changes, but but you know, obviously, anyone that invested in him, especially where he did, I know you he got a run. lot of him in best ball. I mean, really, yeah, he's looked great. People convince themselves that he couldn't run. They're like, man, maybe the Falcons suck. Maybe he gets hurt or whatever, but he can run. He absolutely can. So impressive uh, stuff from him to start this year. Uh, game got a message from our friends over at Bro Throw. Have you ever bet on sports with your buddies? Brothrow is the only sports betting platform that lets you bet directly with your friends. And Brothrow doesn't take a cut of every bet. No fees, no juice, no middlemen. 
Brothrow is not a sports book. You bet on sports directly against other users with no juice or vig, which saves you a ton of money over time. Betting $11 to win 10 stinks. With Brothrow, you bet $10 and win $10. Brothrow offers a hassle-free sign-up process that lets you get in the action in seconds. And you don't have to deposit money on Brothrow either. Instead, you pay other bettors directly. Throw out your first bet and go to Brothrow.com slash Roto and use code Roto. That's Brothrow.com slash R-O-T-O. Brothrow is free to sign up. Cut out the middleman and start betting on Brothrow. That's Brothrow.com slash R-O-T-O. And we also got a message from our friends over at Vivid Seats. Hey, football fans, get your jerseys on and your tailgate snacks ready. That's right. NFL season is back, and so is your chance to score tickets with Vivid Seats. Download the Vivid Seats app or visit vividseats.com to see your team's schedule, compare tickets, and secure your spot in the stands. As the only ticketing company with a reward program, Vivid Seats is the winning app for NFL fans like you. Earn credit when you buy 10 tickets, then cash it in to catch more games all season long. With tickets from Vivid Seats, you'll go from watching the game to being a part of it. Go to vividseats.com or find us in the App Store to browse unbeatable seats. We'll see you in the stadium. All right, let's get things rolling here. We got Ravens playing host to the Buffalo Bills. Um, your thoughts here, the, the bills, uh, road favorites in this one, obviously coming off their first loss of the season. We talked about the Miami game earlier when we were talking Thursday night football and then the Ravens coming off the win in new England. Is this just the way that the Ravens are going to have to get used to playing here where they can give up a lot of points, even to teams like the Patriots and they're just going to have to outscore everybody. Uh, I guess, uh, Michael Pierce out now too. So I, I don't know, man. I, I've, I've been kind of frustrated with a lot of the personnel decisions that the, the Ravens had made lately. And I, each the last two years, I've gone in thinking, like, I don't really like the way this defense looks. Uh, and then, but, but in each case, too, I was kind of like, oh, but they always figure it out. I'm sure they'll, they'll figure it out. They always do. And uh, they haven't really, granted, there's also been the injuries at corner, but it's like, it's basically just been Humphrey because Peters, they knew, was hurt. So mm-hmm. that's not really an excuse i don't know i i don't see i don't see how they fix it really or at the very least i no longer have that generous assumption that i used to make that like oh they'll they always figure it out i'm sure they're on it like now i'm like i don't know if they're even on it so i i'm not i'm not hopeful that their defense improves it on offense i don't think it's sustainable what they've been doing i mean lamar jackson is awesome you don't no one needs to convince me that but uh, Greg Roman is still their offensive coordinator and success, successful or not in these first three weeks, it's always box scores. Like they play 38 snaps, they play 42 snaps and Lamar Jackson gets them five touchdowns on, you know, 26 usage reps. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's, that is Lamar and he will do that. But I feel like what we're seeing right now is what they do in spite of Roman and they need to change a few things for this to be sustainable because Lamar is not going to be able to average like 15 yards a pass and 20 yards a carry all year. So when that changes, what changes to offset that? And I, I don't know what the answer would be for the, for the Ravens. If not like the running backs step up basically. Yeah. That, like, they, yeah. That would have to be the answer in my opinion. Um, and it's like Dobbins, I don't know where he's at. I don't know where Gus Edwards is at, but if those two can't save the day, they don't have an answer. So, uh, 
in this particular matchup, I don't know what to make either. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. Like we, we were talking about how the Dolphins defense was on the field so much. I almost have to wonder if the, the Buffalo offense is tired after spending 90 snaps on the field. I mean, it probably isn't, but it's, it's, or at least it's not as taxing to play offense as it is defense, uh, especially in the trenches. So uh, it, I'm sure they'll be fine, but man, they spent a lot of time spinning their wheels last week and going nowhere. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess I wouldn't expect that to be an issue against this Ravens defense. Um, although I guess going to Baltimore generally has been pretty harsh on teams historically. Yes. I, I don't know if that's uh I don't know. If, I don't know if Allen's really at risk of that. It might be kind of like the Arrowhead thing, where we were like, "Man, quarterbacks just hate going to Arrowhead," and then it turned out like, "Oh, actually, it's just the ball dies when you go to Arrowhead." And if you have a Herbert, Mahomes, Josh Allen arm, that doesn't actually affect them that much. Like maybe the Ravens have a similar thing, and maybe maybe Allen's arm strength makes him immune to it. I don't really know, but uh, I'm not I'm not particularly worried about the uh, the Bills' offense in this one. I might be worried about the Ravens' offense just because the Bills defense is so much better than the Ravens defense. Uh, but also on the other hand, I'm, I don't know. I'm not going to just bet against Lamar Jackson. Exactly. It, um, I don't know. I am worried for the Ravens in this one though. So is, uh, is Devin Duvernay someone that you can feel okay starting in, in deeper formats? And are you starting Rashad Bateman, you know, without thinking twice about it at this point? So Duvernay is one of those parts that's not sustainable too. Whereas I feel like Bateman's production, like it's not sustainable in the sense that, yeah, he's not going to average 25 yards a catch, but his target volume is certain to go up and, and the Mm -hmm. Ravens are certain to run more snaps. Like I said, they've, they've played like 40 snaps a game so far. It's like they get on the field, they strike and then the defense sits on the field all game. And uh, that, you know, would, would, would change here or assuming, assuming they're having any success that will change here because they'll have to, uh, you know, they won't score every four plays. Basically that's not going to keep happening the way, the way that they get the same snap counts, uh, is more likely like they just do so badly. They never get a first down and have to keep giving the ball back. So, uh, that that's the only way that that snap count stays so low. And that's the main reason Bateman's volume has been low, but it will go up eventually when the snaps do, I don't know if Duvernay is the, I don't know if the same is true with him. I feel like he's more like in a fixed volume kind of scenario where if they play a lot more snaps, he's not guaranteed to get a lot more usage, but I think he's good. I think he's clearly the real deal. I think the extent to which he is limited is just the extent to which Roman is failing in his job, but I think Roman will do that. He always has. I don't have any reason to think he'll stop. So Duvernay is mostly just a deep league guy. Whereas with Bateman, you, you definitely assume that he gets more volume going forward and then uh just rounding it out you know when, when it comes to the bills here um i just feel like their offense is set up so well uh to do well against the this defense like you know uh the, the ravens needed some some turnovers some you know absolute terrible interceptions from mac jones a week ago kyle hamilton uh you know had to chase someone down to force that fumble obviously like that that was a good thing that that happened, but you you don't like the events leading up to it, where you got a receiver just kind of streaking across um, open. And I, I just feel like the the Ravens' pass rush problem is another thing that's not going to get fixed. And and when you have Josh Allen sitting back there with time to operate, I think it, it spells disaster for this team. So I I, I do like the Bills a, a decent bit in this one, despite you know history saying that you know Baltimore's a tough place to go in and win. 
Yeah, I will say it'll be interesting to see if the Dolphins of all teams showed something about how to counter this Bills de- uh, Bills offense because uh, they basically forced or, or convinced anyway the Bills to uh, just spam running back targets. Like they must have had like 20, 22 running back targets, which is not normally how they work. Uh, and it shows that the Dolphins were taking away something vertically because they wanted to go to Diggs, they wanted to go to Davis maybe, and it wasn't there. And then you could see that like, almost a point in the game where Ken Dorsey is like, all right, well, we're going to throw to the running backs then. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what did the Dolphins do to make the Bills decide, let's take, let's voluntarily take Diggs and get Davis out of the game and try to replace them as pass catchers with Devin Singletary of all people. And uh, I guess James Cook and Moss also got in there a little bit. Devin Singletary catching like eight passes is a loss for the Bills offense. They can't let that mm-hmm. happen. So it's interesting that the Dolphins convinced them to do it. No, I, yeah, that, that's a really interesting de- detail. And then, uh, you know, kind of marrying it up between the, these two units, uh, the Bills just don't seem like they're going to be able to run the ball at all this year. The Ravens don't really feel like they're going to be able to stop it, but I, I just don't think that their run defense is going to matter in this one necessarily. But I, I think it still is a concern moving forward. The the new defensive coordinator and, and Harbaugh were talking about the the lack of run fits. And, you know, that that kind of led to the Patriots running out, running it, you know, kind of all over them. I don't think the Bills do that, but, at, you know, I think it's something to, to monitor when the Ravens face good run run teams like the Browns. Yeah, and, uh, if they keep using Singletary that way, then needless to say, uh, that's an insane boost to his value. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that just... Oh my gosh! P- the reason why people would would hate PPR scoring, uh, basically. Um, let's keep things going here. We got Commanders, Cowboys, uh, Commanders, three point underdogs on the road going up against Cooper Rush and the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys played an ugly game on Monday. Uh, it wasn't as ugly as the Sunday night game. That I'm still like angry at myself for, for spending three and a half hours watching that on Sunday night, but. Not that Monday was was a whole lot better, but yeah, that Dallas. You know, I think you established this point last week where when the when it is just Cooper Rush back there, it's obviously not not a high ceiling team, but you can totally see the talent uh, elsewhere, like on the field for the, for this Cowboys team. Whether it's out wide, whether it's the the defense is just kind of crazy, especially in the front seven. Uh, the offensive line is all right. It's maybe not as good as it was a couple of years ago, but it's still definitely good. Zeke has looked all right. And, and Tony Pollard obviously looked good this past week. So there, there's just kind of like enough on aggregate there to where I, I do trust the Cowboys with Cooper rush at home against Carson Wentz. Yeah. After week one, I would have assumed that Washington would clean up this game, but mm-hmm. uh, Apparently, unstoppable Carson Wentz was only a one-week deal, and uh, he became more like the Carson Wentz we know and love last week. Uh, it's weird. It's tough for me to think through Wentz because it's like he's got all this natural talent and he can make great plays, but he's just psychologically weak. Like he he'll he'll go into a setting like that Jacksonville game and he'll play loose and he'll be like. You know, all of a sudden he's just this six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound guy who can throw the football as far as he wants. And then he goes against his former team last week. And maybe John Gannon had a good game plan. I don't know. I kind of doubt it, but whatever. Uh, I think even if Gannon had a good plan, good game plan, the result can only be explained by Carson Wentz just choking. He just mm-hmm. he, he got there and he was like, on, on some deep level, deep in his soul, he he knew I don't want this smoke. But his whole persona is being like this. Oh yeah, I'm. I want to get back on the field, coach. I'm. I want to. I want to prove my doubters wrong. And it's like he's he's got like this 
frail narcissism working against him where he, he both wants the spotlight and is also afraid of it. And it means like it's just difficult to tell which version of him is ever going to show up. Um, and I, I thought after week one, I was like, oh, God, Carson Wentz, my, my nightmare scenario, Carson Wentz is just elite now because he's, <laughs> he's got these <laughs> three receivers. I was like, oh, I guess it's not quite that the case. But uh, he, can, he can make some plays against Dallas. I think he'll have a better game here than he did against like, he's not His frail narcissism is not going to be threatened by the Cowboys the way that, uh, you know, going against this former team, the Eagles did. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a little more loose in this setting. And uh, there's nothing about the ca- the Cowboys secondary that's scary for these receivers quite the other way around. It's like Dallas might even need to take take a little bit off of their uh, pass rushing ambitions to properly manage these three route runners that are so dangerous for Washington. Um, but I do, I guess, I don't know, I guess I'd go with the Cowboys to win because uh, their pass rush is so good and it's so varied. It's like they, got, they got so many guys. Like outside of that Quinton Bohannon one, it's like everybody's a runner. Like everybody can pursue in the open field. Everybody can split gaps. Uh, it's it's just so much speed, and I I think they're gonna they're gonna get to every quarterback they face basically. And the question is like, will the will the quarterback keep it together and make the throws that are available, or will they let those you know three to four sacks, six to eight hits rattle them? And uh, I don't know. I, I on the other side, I guess I should say too. Cooper Rush, and he's he's got such a bad arm, but he's playing really well. I mean, he, he's he seems not like great accuracy, but I haven't seen him. I, I can't remember seeing him make like a single bad decision. It's like he's he's yeah. Seems to, uh, like he needs to be perfect with his decision making, but he has been too. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 like we would consider Wentz the better quarterback, but I don't know if. Washington gets a better quarterback outcome in this game and if I if I don't think their defense bridges that gap and I definitely don't and uh, I guess I have to go with Dallas even though I don't really know how I think it'll look exactly yeah I I definitely like Dallas in this spot as well I can see Carson Wentz not, not only getting you know pressured that Dallas creates for him but no one can run into a sack uh quite like Carson Wentz so I expect to see plenty of that on Sunday Lions, Seahawks, Lions, four-point favorites in this one. The Lions, unfortunately, kind of escaped last week, not only with a a loss, but also um, a decent amount of injuries, you know, whether it's to DeAndre Swift or or Amon St. Brown, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, like one of the uh, heroes of the early part of the season. Now he's dinged up. So, you know, what do you do with with the Lions covering four points at home against the Seattle team? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, granted, I'm biased because uh, I'm obviously a Rashad Penny investor and generally a fan of his. But I think the Seahawks pretty clearly lost against the Falcons because they didn't run enough. And I thought they should have lost in week one because they didn't run enough. And I'm surprised that two out of the first three weeks, the Seahawks lost or should have lost because they didn't run enough. I didn't. I thought that was the last possibility with Pete Carroll running the show, especially with Russell Wilson gone. But everything they were saying about Russell Wilson limiting the offense was true. It's like they didn't want to only throw the ball 27 times a game. It's just that they thought that Russell Wilson was a liability for uh, basically, you know, attempts 27 through 38 or whatever Geno's been throwing. Those are all slants and like crossers and things over the intermediate part of the, the middle of the field that Russell Wilson just couldn't or would not throw to. So that, 
low pass attempt volume they had with Wilson was just because they they completely they they forfeited that one category of play structure and now they're running it with Geno. But like man, you guys were running the ball well against the Broncos and you should have lost, but you got bailed out by Nate Hackett. And then in week three, you didn't get bailed out by Nate Hackett, so you lost. And you put when mm-hmm. you pulled the exact same stunts, and it's like I. I, I am surprised that we're in this place in the first place, but I also would be shocked if Pete Carroll looked at those results and couldn't figure it out, especially given his kind of, you know, ideological inclinations. I think it's like usually he wants to find a reason to run the ball more. And it's here there is a big fat one right in front of him. So if they get going on the ground with Penny, I, I just I think Penny's the category of player. Like you get him over 18 carries, you're at for the defense, you're at serious risk of giving up a 50 yarder any second. And uh, if they get him there, I think that happens. If they don't, I think they lose uh, for sure. Whereas, you know, I'm not saying they win if they get Penny 20 carries, but I think they definitely lose if they don't. Um, Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. The the Lions offense should be fine without Swift, though. Yeah. So uh, you starting in leagues where you have him or stashed him, picked him up, what what have you, uh, assuming, again, that, that Swift is inactive this week, Jamal Williams, starting him in the flex pretty easily yeah i mean he was a flex player even when swift is healthy so it's one of those things like he doesn't gain that much with swift out it's, it's not like williams was like a 20 carry six catch you know mega running back waiting to break out it's like he's, he's kind of maxed out as it is but he has no real competition for like high value touches now oh, ex- exactly yeah he was already getting the goal line work uh even pre uh swift injury um and then as far as the receivers go if Amon Ross St. Brown is out. I know Josh Reynolds left last game a little bit gimpy as well. Yeah. Um, is this like a Hawkinson week or, you know, where, where, where else do, do the targets go? Oh maybe my God. Have, Their pets heads are been, falling off. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have been so quick to assume the Lions offense will be okay. Maybe, maybe they're just too battered to be themselves right now. Um, yeah. I don't know how it would look. I mean, what the hell they got. Uh, th- this is, this is like a, this is a scenario where I have to give the disclaimer because I, I think Quintez Cephas is actually quite good, but it's limited, of course, but still quite good. So I think he can step up here if they need him to. And hell, even Khalif Raymond what was passable as kind of like a starter level player for them last year. And you know, going into this year with him as the wide receiver five, it's like it's it's a. Uh, it's, it's the progression of a good team. You know, he went from a player that they need all the time to a player they only need in a situation like this one. And maybe they have just enough depth to do it. I don't know. I, 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 as long as that offensive line keeps playing the way it generally does, I think that's more important than any of the other parts. I, I believe so as well. Good point. Um, let's keep it rolling. Let's get on over to our next game. Uh, we got Chargers, Texans, uh, Texans, five and a half point dogs at home. The Texans, Lost to the Chicago Bears. Ugh, that 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 reaches inexcusable territory. The, the team in my that's opinion. trying to lose beat you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that is no bueno uh, for, from them. Even though it was on the road, and you know it, they they hung around till the very end, still, uh, but not particularly encouraging. And then on on the Chargers side, they, I mean they got housed. They got completely housed, and I think that that at once is a statement that Jacksonville is no longer the bomb bottom feeder than it that it was a year ago uh but at the same time i think it also just kind of pointed to some problems with with the chargers whether it is justin herbert playing through something that's tough uh they they are injured 
you know, in a lot of spots. But like Austin, you would think with with Herbert being dinged up the way he is, it would be a, a great spot for Eckler. And no, I mean they were they were playing catch up the whole time. But st- I mean, even still, it just oh boy, I, they're too predictable. They don't have threats. They don't have any teeth. Like especially when a guy like Allen is out, they just don't have any teeth. And you, you watch, especially after all the tape they put up of last year with Austin Eckler. 99th percentile outcome, just just carrying them through so many stretches, 20 touchdowns from scrimmage. They were overly dependent on him last year, and the looks that he was winning on last year, the defense had a whole year to study. And I'm not saying, like, Eckler's just toast now because they, they figured him out, but when Herbert's hurt and Allen is missing and now Rashawn Slater's out for the year, whatever, like, there's a lot working against him, and, and defenses are more prepared than ever to deal with him. So I, I, Eckler's going to be some version of fine. I mean, he's still an awesome player. And in PPR, you know, they, all it takes is one garbage time drive against prevent defense for him to all of a sudden get 10 points. Yep. So that's that's going to be fine. But as far as paying off as like a top five, six kind of pick that you just see occasionally see him go at, I don't know how that's happening because – a lot of a lot of um not that this is anything to do with his ADP in the offseason, but a lot of people who think whatever they do about the Chargers, developed whatever ideal about the Chargers that they have over the last two years, it contains the premise that, well, Brandon Staley's a smart coach and they're gonna figure out all this stuff that other teams can't. And so far it's been the exact opposite. He has not been good and he has innovated in ways to blow it that other bad coaches could never conceive. So <laughs> I don't know why it should I don't know why there should be a bottom anytime soon really I don't know why like there's this enduring faith in them as an institution just because of Staley being there that like oh well they'll get it together though like why what do they do well nothing no they they really don't um, Bosa and Matt that's the only thing good with them and Derwin Bosa's not playing this week is that right uh I guess uh I'll have to pull up the injury report because I missed that one um but yeah, if Bosa's out, that's a huge deal. Uh, he's it's him and yeah, he's on he's on IR now. Oh god, uh, yeah, they suck. They're like <laughs> they're worse than the Texans now. Oh, so do do we hold our nose and and pick the Texans to cover? I'll do it. I mean, that's, right. that's, that tells you that the Chargers are golden, but I'll do it. <laughs> the, the onions onions call on this podcast. We love it. All right, let's let's stick in the AFC South. Uh, we got. Colts hosting the Titans. The Titans got off the ropes last week and, you know, avoided the, the dreaded 0-3 start. <clears throat> Gave that over to, to the Raiders, of course. And I that was one of those games that, like, right when it kicked off, I was like, I am so on the wrong side of this one. Like, a, But my argument, you know, I, I try to, like, craft an argument on, on both sides to see how a team is going to cover or not. And, you know, with, with the Titans, it's like we have two weeks going into last weekend of just dreadful Dreadful play. I mean, the, the Bills won slightly forgivable, uh, losing to the Giants the way they did, slightly less so. So they, they go into that game 0-2, they're at home, and it's like, well, they should lose this game. Like, all evidence points to them being a terrible team, but Mike Vrabel is pretty good. Uh, he gets that McDaniels, team to play hard. And McDaniels, might he might not be good, Jim. So uh, so that, that ended up being the case. That ended up being the, the right answer. The Raiders, once again, you know, like no-showed for part of the game. Mac Hollins became a thing uh, briefly. Uh, I'll have to ask you if, if we see that continuing in any any form or fashion. But you know, when it when it comes down to this matchup for for Tennessee going into Indy, who obviously in their own right 
got one of the shocking results of last week beating the Chiefs, who just kind of sleptwalked. I, I felt like for a lot of that game. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was tough, uh, maybe for me personally in Survivor. Uh, still kicking myself there. Um, but in the end, where are you on this particular matchup? Yeah, there's like three good teams in the NFL, and all of the ones we were just uh, go- going through, Chiefs aside, are terrible. I, I really fell for the McDaniels thing. He's- he still cannot be trusted with anything, apparently. And uh, given how things went out in uh, Denver, it seems like that we're going to enter an alienation phase now where things get even worse with him because uh, he-, he probably can't keep a, a- a contentious locker room in order. He's never been the kind of person who has, who inspires, you know, uh, followers or anything. So anyway, I only mentioned that backtrack to, to say, I still think Tennessee is bad. And I certainly still think the Colts are bad. And uh, I think the Titans win this just because I don't think the Colts are hardly like a real team right now that they, they have, they have a lot of politics going on in the background. I would imagine too, like Chris Ballard is no doubt laying uh laying the foundation to, to eventually bury Reich when there's uh, a media sc- scapegoat to be issued at the end of the year in a couple of weeks, you know, maybe this week uh, there's Ballard is, is working to undermine Reich. And uh, normally those two work really closely together. Like Reich gets leaned on by Ballard and the game planning and stuff like that. So it's like a weird situation at the very least that they're in. And that's not even getting to the, part of how their team sucks because their quarterback, uh, whatever. I think their offensive theory makes no sense. There was a certain way it could have gone that made sense to me. And they've done actually the quite uh, direct opposite of it. Uh, so I don't think they have the the ammo to get it done on offense and their defense. I mean, I guess they've been good against the run all year and that's something that could continue, but the defense last week tricked the, the Chiefs, basically, because they showed three weeks of the same co- cover three scheme that Gus Bradley has for his entire career, the defensive coordinator of the Colts. He's run this cover three thing that he, he copied Pete Carroll back when they were running cover three with the Legion of Boom, and it worked at the time. And Gus, Gus Bradley's just kind of been jamming those same buttons ever since, just trying to make just trying to make the same playbook work the way it did 15 years ago or whatever. And it doesn't work. The Chiefs, I think, went into that game thinking like, "Oh hell yeah, we got Bradley's cover three. We're gonna we're gonna kick his ass up and down the field." And they got out there and they ran something totally different. Like I guess they're running more like a cover four kind of thing, and it basically threw off the Chiefs' offense for you know a half or more of the game. And they they didn't figure things out until like too little, too late, and then Kelsey missing that one throw. And that's how you do it. That's how you blow that game when you're the Chiefs. Not being mm-hmm. able to run the ball at all uh, helps too. But uh, I just I mentioned all that to say the, the Colts kind of pulled out every stop basically last week and they had luck in their favor, too. I don't think like they could be lucky here, but I, I feel like it's more this time around like they need that luck uh, to just not get choked out in the fourth quarter. Like, I think I think the Titans have the personnel to deal with everything that the Colts throw at as long as they, you know, easier said than done, as long as they don't let Taylor kill them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the Colts have a single bit otherwise. Yeah, I don't either. So, you know, this is this is one of a couple games and we're about to get to another one where you feel queasy uh, backing either side. But I, I, I think I'll, I'll take the side that's that's getting the points here. And that that's uh, as Tennessee um, onward to Bears Giants. Uh, I, w- I wrote in my article this week that this might be the grossest matchup of two and one teams that 
I can remember. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, quite fraudulent. Their their cumulative record, especially the Bears, but not not to skip how bad the Giants are too. I mean, they're <laughs> they're they're just weird, and they're they're kind of um they're in this weird position where they're they're trying to win. Uh, the players and the coaches are trying to win, but they're also like they're they're behaving personnel wise they're utilizing their personnel almost as a tanking team would like giving starting snaps to david sills uh, so that's that's something you do when you are not trying to win it's it's like what the bears do with you know dante pettis and all that so equally mm-hmm. st brown it's like this is what you Spider-Man do when you are not, yeah it's like the, the the bears are actually trying not to win whereas the, the giants are trying to win but using personnel as if they aren't i don't know it's weird uh makes for a volatile projection i think aside from you know the downward offensive trend like there's that's a given with these two stupid teams but specifics aside from that i don't know it might be kind of a weird whatever way it goes it might be a weird game rather than just uh an ugly run out the clock you know cloud of dust kind of thing there might might be some turnovers i guess that's probably not a bold prediction um i think the giants win somehow probably by some amount of scoreboard comfort but it might be because of like two you know like xavier mckinney scoring a touchdown or something like that 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 gets them there so with shepherd being out who and kenny galladay just seeming i the, i still think kenny galladay can be a good player or at least like yeah, I they think handled he was that totally but, wrong like he's yeah. yeah let's just say he's a bit of a head case fine some people are head cases some people need to be coddled a little bit but one thing you don't do one thing that doesn't help a guy like him play right is screw with his practice reps and and do this like cold war through the media it's like mm-hmm. they every time they talk face to face they're like yeah we think kenny's doing great and they tell they, kenny's like yeah they tell me i'm doing fine or whatever and then then you get these anonymous reports in the media you get uh dable going up to the to the press and be like yeah he's got to show us more it's like why didn't you just tell him that why didn't mm-hmm. why didn't why does why does he not why is he learning this now and also like he's gonna get the yips over this he's gonna develop a, a complex because yeah he's probably a bit of a head case and when you know head cases are a little more fragile psychologically sometimes and you don't you don't just like boot camp them into something different like you got to kind of deal with their eccentricities and i think Galladay is a guy who it's like if you don't give him those first team practice reps and you make him spend all that time sitting on the sideline about how he doesn't want to be here and how he he doesn't feel like he can trust anyone here like these people aren't on his side he is going to get into the game the few times you put him out there and he's gonna have the yips and he's gonna he's not gonna be focused and he's he's gonna be trying to i I see people saying like he's just not even trying he's trying to shave points it's like no he's probably just a little bit weird and needs to be coddled a little bit and if they had coddled him they'd have more production to show for it but they took the principled stand of like no you gotta be more like david sills because he's so helpful <laughs> right sure is um so i mean do, do does kenny g wake up yeah, you know in, in, in light of this tony like... too and that's a, it's mm-hmm. a similar thing with tony so i don't think it's i think they're neither of them is likely to contribute uh david sills of course won't do anything useful uh, it's it's just Barkley. Like what Barkley does, yeah. That's what happened that week. Yeah, and Richie James much. apparently. Yes, uh, we we're Richie James guys back from yeah, good uh, for him though. D- college football cool. DFS, uh, yeah, that rocks. Um, and then will the Bears throw more than twenty passes this week <laughs> or any at any time this season? Uh, this is kind of like asking if someone will successfully 
take the off uh, take Luke Getze hostage at gunpoint without Getze being able to tell anyone during the game. Uh, <laughs> like if they throw twenty five passes, like is, does someone go see if Luke's okay? Yeah, um, yeah. Is Luke up there? Are we sure he's at his headset and there's not like a, a imposter, like a body double? Yeah. Yeah, a guy wearing a Luke Getze suit. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the Bears are really. They're like, again, they're doing kind of what the Giants are with tank personnel, and they're really sticking with it. They're really they're really trying to make it as ugly and dreary as possible, and they're still accidentally winning, which is, of course, funny and what they deserve. Um, yes. But when you don't want to win, that's when you deserve to win, uh, or if you're the Bears anyway. Um, so, yeah, they, they – I don't see how they, you know, accidentally win three games in the first four weeks. So that that's uh, – that's the Giants. Just they're gonna take it somehow, I think. And I don't know what, what does this Bears offense even have going for it when Khalil Herbert doesn't have a forty-yard carry. It's like it's there's just nothing else. It's, if Khalil Herbert's averaging four and a half yards a carry instead of ten, I don't even know how they reliably get past midfield. Yeah, no, that so that being big, big play dependent and run dependent, like that, that bad, bad equation there. Like go back to the drawing board. Um, let's see here. Let's keep it going. Uh, we got Jags, Eagles, really interesting game. Um, uh, Eagles, six and a half point favorites in this one, playing host to the Jaguars. Um, I like the Eagles in this spot. I think I'm just going to continue to back them. Uh, they, they just, they continue to feel like the best team in the, in the NFC, in my estimation. Uh, this line was at seven. Now it's at six and a half. Um, your thoughts here. I know the Jaguars, I mean, the Jaguars deserve plenty of credit for, for their start. We'll, we'll obviously get there, but I just, I think at the end of the day, the Eagles are just better. Yeah, I think uh, the Jaguars are interesting and whatever else, but the Eagles just are one of the best teams in the league. And I think some of the problems that the Washington offense posed to the Jaguars defense, like namely making them play spread defense, basically, that's something the Eagles compose too for a slightly different, not because they have like the three wide of, you know, Dotson, McLaurin, Curtis Samuel. They only really have like a two wide kind of thing, but the Hertz rushing element puts that additional uh, like axis of tension on the defense. And I think creates the same fundamental, fundamental, like uh, a struggle for, for the, the Jaguars defense, which is the more that they have to spread out and more field they have to defend, the less good they are. Whereas when they can kind of tee off on you, then you're in trouble because they got they got some guys who can run a little bit uh, in the front seven. But when they got the three wide, four wide from Washington, they just got annihilated in week one. So maybe they're a little better at that by now, but not much reason to assume. And uh, until you get a defense, what what is it going to take? I guess I guess a Bills kind of defense is what you'd need to to counter this uh, Eagles offense right now. And uh, the Jags don't have that. So, meanwhile, on, on their offensive side, I don't know. There's, I'm a little bit worried about uh, – I mean, Slay and, and Bradbury, of course, are very good. Slay, it'll be interesting to see if they, they have him shadow Christian Kirk into the slot. I, I know last year they generally kept Slay outside. They're going to have to have him follow Kirk into the slot to have him follow Kirk. So, that would be interesting both because it'll be interesting to see if Kirk can just win against a guy like that. And it'll be interesting to see if Slay – loses something going into the slot as opposed to playing the perimeter. Uh, but the, this, this has to be a game where like ETN and Robinson get going. If the, if the Jaguars, it has to be a game where ETN gets going. If the Jaguars are going to compete 
because mm-hmm. Robinson's kind of like a constant, and they're going to need something extra that they haven't shown. You know, those, those two touchdown catches that ETN almost had in week one, that's what they need here. Yes, and, you know, the, no guarantee there, but, uh, I mean, ETN... Those can't defend those guys. That's the one thing about the Eagles' defense. Like, and they don't have corner depth, that their starting base loadout is really, really tough. The front four is really tough. The secondary is really tough. But it, their third corner, fourth corner, that's where they're vulnerable. And those linebackers, if you get them spaced out in coverage, they're they're sitting ducks basically. Okay, so any like uh, obviously, I think if, if you drafted ETN, you're, you're you're still starting him at this point. But like, do you, do you think that this is a, a spot to go contrarian with him in like DFS or or? Yeah, because I, I know people people want to make like you know stone tablet verdicts of guys' entire careers based on three or four games. Uh, you know the tilting. Well, yeah, we go th- like ETN. I picked in the first I picked ETN and he doesn't he hasn't gone off in the first three weeks. Oh, God, he must suck. He's why my life sucks. But no, it's like th- we just we went through this with Swift last year. And, and especially after those two missed touchdowns in week one and, and with Robinson being the kind of guy that he is, you can understand why Doug Peterson is sort of just like going with what he perceives as safe uh, when, when in their base functions. Right. And while that's occurring, I still think it can it can work for ETN because he can make the big play. And the big play hasn't been there the last two weeks in the yardage from scrimmage. And in week one, he missed what would have been a successful setup for those two touchdowns. If he had those two touchdowns, uh, A, the public perception of ETN is just kind of, even with these these two slow weeks since, people would still be like, oh, but he's so close. He's, you know, it's almost, it's going to happen. It's almost here. You know, people would have a totally different view of ETN. And Doug Peterson probably would trust him a little bit too uh, more the too because he, he'd probably been like more likely to give etn that 50 yard touchdown carry that robinson had you know it's like that's that's a play that etn will clearly make and much faster than robinson and if he had two touchdown catches in week one maybe etn would have been out there instead these are these are narrow paths that he's working with which is at once you know frustrating in the meantime but it's also reason to believe it doesn't take much for it to go the other way he, he only really needs those one or two plays and he make he's he's a better candidate to make those one or two plays than almost any running back in the league or in recent memory. So I think he's clearly stick with ETN still. By the way, he's been very productive as a route runner. They just kind of haven't gotten the volume going yet. But you just see it, it, it both with the, the way he is and the pass catching usage. It's it's almost there. And you had a similar uh, souring on DeAndre Swift to start last year. You know, he dropped that touchdown pass against the Bears or whatever in week one, and then he kind of got nicked up and he missed a few games. Jamal Williams took a couple touchdowns, and people were like, oh, God, DeAndre Swift's a fraud. We, You know, he's, he's never going to be any good. And then four big games in the second half of the year had people change their mind from that to we got to take him in the top 12 in 2022. So just understand it can change in a hurry with ETN. No, I, absolutely. I, I think that, that his best days are obviously – um, ahead of him. And then uh, last one for you. Are you starting Trevor Lawrence this week? And if not, is this the last week that you would say that you're not starting Trevor Lawrence? I think it's a tough matchup for him, but they've been throwing a lot. They've they've had a Doug Peterson has had a pretty specific game plan about throwing a lot and throwing underneath. And eventually teams are going to have to readjust to that. And, and if, if Gannon's on it and if, if Slay and Bradbury are on it, it could be a harsh reckoning to face in this game if they try to do those same routes and they're getting jumped. So I'm a little concerned for Lawrence, but he could throw like 40 passes in this game. 
Well, yeah, I mean that would that would obviously you know help help goose the the overall fantasy production from from him forty dropbacks. But yeah, I think if you see that Trevor Lawrence has had to throw it forty times, you, you can't imagine that the game went particularly I think this well. This is a tough game for him over, and that that front four is it's not easy to deal with. Yeah, those guys are, are monsters up there. Um, let's go Steelers Jets. Uh, expect expectation here that that Zach Wilson should be back. So the our Flacco days. Uh, the short-lived were, you know, the, the candle that burns twice as bright uh, burns twice as quickly, unfortunately, as, as such is 2022 Joe Flacco on the Jets. Going into Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I, I'm just kind of having to start to recognize how shaky they are uh, in general. Uh, you know, they, even with TJ, TJ Watt being out the defense, you know, you, you called it perfectly last week when it came to that Thursday night game against the Browns, like eventually – uh, that this run defense isn't going to be able to to hold up that type of thing. But I mean, I don't know if the Jets are built to kind of uh, really take complete advantage of the weaknesses that the Steelers have right now. So I, I do like the Steelers in this spot, but I, I don't feel great about backing them uh, in any week right now. Yeah, I don't know how to call this one. Uh, I guess I guess I'll take the Steelers just because. Uh... And Tomlin is their coach. Yep, and, and Robert Salah, uh, the, the coach of the Jets. So yeah, not, not a whole lot else to, to unpack from that one. Before we get on over to our next game, uh, football is officially back on Monkey Knife Fight with all the NFL action you're looking for. And if college football is more your speed, they've got plenty of that. On Monkey Knife Fight, there's no sharks, no salary caps, and no math. It's just easy to play, easy to win, daily fantasy player props. Join now at monkeyknifefight.com and you'll get your first game free. Then use promo code RWNFL to get your first deposit matched instantly up to $100. So what are you waiting for? Join Monkey Knife Fight today. Again, that's promo code RWNFL. All right, on to the afternoon uh, slate of games here. Uh, Cards, Panthers, Panthers uh, at home in this one. Um, yeah, this, uh, you know, very, this last block of games has just been a a brutal collection of matchups. I think I like the Panthers in this spot though. Yeah. Why not? Some idiot team has to win this one. Why not them? I mean, the, the Cardinals are just, I hate that. Or Kime and Cliff, you guys gotta go hang out somewhere else. I don't know. Get get an (laughs) Island for each other somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> anything but 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 what we're seeing right now um let's go uh packers patriots uh packers at home this line obviously has changed a, a good bit in light of the mac jones specifically that one picture there's there's like the the wire report about like mac jones parentheses ankle I'm like oh my god we gotta change the line and then they, they saw that they saw that the psychic just that the, the the, the grim is heard around, around the world in his face. Yeah. And it's like, wait, this is, this is something more, uh, this, this will, this will have repercussions that spread outward. Um, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, I, I, I think in a way they don't lose that much just because not that I'm saying Jones is not better than Hoyer or Bailey Zapp or whatever, but they weren't getting that much from the quarterback position. So, uh, it's a, it's not a high bar situation, but, uh, yeah, the Patriots, I don't know what they like. Their offense sucked in the first place. I don't know why they would keep it together here outside of the ground game. Like the ground game will give them a certain sort of constant, but 
I think Rodgers gets enough going that the Packers pull away, uh, even if it's in the late part of the game. My my thinking was was just kind of like, especially when the line was closer to 10 and a half, that I'm not going to trust the, the Packers with that much against Bill Belichick. But now it's nine and a half, and I, I can a 10-point win is a lot easier to conceptualize than 13 against Belichick. So um, I, I if the line sticks at nine and a half, I'm, I'm on the Packers somewhat begrudgingly, but but 10 and above, um, I, I think, is where the, you know, and obviously that's why they make the line the, the way that they do. But um, no, I you know, actually, I, uh, I, I'm thinking a little bit too much in like wide receiver corner matchups, but I think Rodgers could have a really good game here. By the way, I, I think Romeo Dobbs is for real. Uh, yes. His arrival was needlessly delayed by the GM, Gutekunst or whatever, sticking his hands in the offense and saying you got to start Christian Watson even though he sucks and hasn't practiced in like four months uh Dobbs should have been their lead snap guy along with Watkins right away and he proved it last week I don't think they can go back and uh in this particular game you might see a lot of Alan Lazard against Miles Bryant who is uh, the new Dante Dion like I've mentioned previously like he, he he won't be in the league soon so target the receivers who run against him now Mm-hmm. So okay, well that those are those are good points there when it when it comes to uh, this uh, this secondary there for one for thing, New England. Oh, sorry, before I forget, I want to say uh, the one thing about the Packers that is not going to improve, and they need to stop doing it, is the two back offense. Like I know it's it's good in theory or whatever, but it, the results haven't been there, and it makes sense that the results wouldn't be there because the defense counters with nickel, and then Aaron Jones is not a a plus blocker on this rep. So you get the same result as if you were just running with like a receiver who is not actually a threat to Jones can run a route, but not like any qualified receiver should be able to. So Mm -hmm. they just make themselves worse. And the results uh, say that too. Good. Yeah. Okay. So that it it looks cool uh, on the field when, when they have AJ Dillon and Jones back there. But I think that's a good point about the, the actual effectiveness of that, of that type of personnel. Um, let's go Broncos Raiders Raiders uh, two and a half point favorites in this one at home in Vegas. I mean, it, it's another game. It's you hate backing either of them. Um, well, Crackshot said that the Broncos would beat the 49ers. So uh, I believe whatever he says about this game, Good point. he's picking. Yeah. I, I to be serious. Don't know. Both of these, Teams are, are really in rough shape. Uh, I don't. I guess. I guess the Broncos at least have uh, Javante Williams they can lean on, and Sutton, you know, making a couple moss grabs a game. But it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of like eight on eleven, eight on ten, seven on nine kind of football, just trash. And then stupid coaches making it all worse. Yeah, and then you know on on the Raiders side, um, anything set up nicely for them offensively. I mean, Jacobs is playing pretty well, so if they can have the focus and you know game script necessary to to feed him a little bit, I don't want to I don't want to like say Jacobs can't step up a little. The Mac Hollins thing is not going to go. Uh, they that's one of those things, the one of those box scores that people look at and they're like, oh wow, that's that guy's emerging. This is this is something new from this Mac Hollins guy. He might be the real deal. It's like no, that box score tells you that the Raiders lost. That's the mm-hmm. Raiders' offense getting put in a place it doesn't want to go. If, if they're if they're featuring Mac Hollins as their lead receiver, they got whooped. It's simple as that. So uh, granted, they can lose against anybody, apparently. But 
the Hollins thing is not like an enduring design, even if Renfro misses time. Like they, they want those plays to go to Waller, couldn't find a way to do it, got whooped for it. Yeah. And and then, you know, Adams coming off of a couple of kind of disappointing weeks for fantasy, you know, the target volume's been there. Do you think the efficiency climbs back up to norms this week? Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I just think it's it is gonna be by the end of the year a bit of a slog with him where it's like he has God, I don't, even, I don't know what the math that needs to work out like, but, you know, like getting getting like 11, 12 targets a game, 7.2 yards a target, only six or seven touchdowns. Like he's going to he's going to have games where he's getting like 11 catches for 85 yards and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. So, um, you know, he he was kind of my my late first round target th- this year in drafts where I was picking there. Uh, not feeling great. I think he'll be fine. But I think we knew we were getting into that with PPR. It's like we, as long as it's PPR, it's like. Hey, it's it's probably not going to be great in real life, but a hundred catches is a hundred catches, and some some of these first round picks are going to just be total duds. Yeah, no, it, exactly. It's just kind of how the game works. We would like a prime Cooper Cup, yes. But, uh, <laughs> apparently, they're just not giving those away. It's unbelievable. Um, let's go uh, Sunday night matchup: uh, Chiefs Bucks. Uh, I hadn't seen the the latest uh, as for um, whether this game is staying in Tampa Bay or or not, um, but the Chiefs uh, slight road underdogs in in this one against the Bucks. It, to me, that feels a little bit overreaction to to last week. I, I think that the Buccaneers have a severely flawed offense, and I I feel like the the Chiefs simply do not. So I mean, weather permitting, I, I've in you know this game. I just like the Chiefs in, in this in this particular spot. Where are you with this one? Uh, it's it's tough to think through because there was that one time when they had Tyreek and and the the Chiefs showed up and just put like 270 yards on uh, in one half with Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill, and then in the second half and in the subsequent matchup, Todd Bowles called a much better game. So Todd Bowles, he. Uh, He's kind of familiar. He's paid a lot of attention to this team, despite not playing against them that much, despite being you know far apart. So I think he's he's ready to show up with a good game plan. And I think the Chiefs are uh, playing a lot of ten on eleven. So I don't I don't know if this is the team where they get away with that. Uh, granted, I guess they wouldn't be running very well even if they gave the ball to Pacheco or Ronald Jones, whoever it is that can run the ball. Uh, in light of McKinnon not being able to do anything of any kind. But as long as they're paying that 10 and 11, they're just kind of asking for, for bad luck. It's like bad luck shows up more often when you're letting yourself be nearer to it in, in the first place. So they, they make things needlessly close on themselves. They, they give themselves a needlessly tight margin of error as long as they do that. And uh, you were, you're correct to point out that the Buccaneers offense is all busted, but it's pretty much all because of injury, I think. And Tom Brady, when he has the time and the means figures things out and getting Julio back in practice, getting Godwin back in practice, Russell Gage is practicing the first day of the week this week. That might mark the receivers being substantially better than they've been in two weeks, at least. Mm-hmm. And the offensive line is still a problem, but and not, not to dismiss that because the chiefs defense is better. I think than people realize like they got, they got some people, they got like Carlos Dunlap playing off the bench now. So You've got you've got ammo when when you got a player like Dunlap off the bench going against a backup busted offensive line, they could do some real damage. Um, so yeah, I guess uh, I don't I don't think the Buccaneers want to just like air it out exactly. I think they want to be more selective with the shots that they take, but I think they might start making more of their shots than they have in a couple of weeks. 
Okay, that's an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect their offense to to continue to, you know, just kind of mire. Uh, but but at the same time, uh, you know, it's been a, been a slow start. But I think I think you know, point Brady point always taken. gets to working on things. You know, it's like there'll be a game where you're like, oh man, Brady's just whooped. But like, it just doesn't happen the same way the second time. Yeah, he ne- never stays down. Um, can't can't get rid of him. Um, and then let's see here. And then is there a Chiefs receiver? <laughs> if you, if you're a Chiefs receiver investor for say the the Sunday night uh, showdown slate, who's the one to go with? Juju, but I mean, like, if I could if I could know what kind of coverage, if if I knew where the the Buccaneers might have busted coverage and where Marquez Valdez Scantling is lining up on that play. Uh, you know, he can, he can exploit busted coverage. I just don't know if he can beat anything else. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's Juju, it's Kelsey. And then there's a bunch of like trick shot guys. Is, is Sky Moore going to do anything this year? If they had to, if they had to give him like 35, 40 snaps in a game, I bet he would do something, but I don't think that's on the table. At least not when Valdez Scantling and Hardman are healthy. Uh, Hardman, I guess is not healthy. I, I don't know what the heel he wasn't practicing Wednesday. I don't know how bad that is or if it's like they're managing it. But, I mean, I like Michael Hardman, obviously, but I I don't like the idea of injured Hardman. So, oh, Justin Watson's in the way probably too. Yeah, I guess I guess Moore's just – he's redshirting pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I th- kind of think so as well. Um, and then uh, last game quickly, we'll go uh, Rams, Niners. Niners slight home favorites in this one in the, in the Monday night game. I know I, I was surprised to see that as well, but you know, the Rams have, they, they've won two games in a row, but they've let worse teams, you know, hang around uh, for, for ugly, in yeah. each of those matchups. Yeah. I don't think the Rams have figured out anything really. I mean, they, they were unable to get Allen Robinson going in a game when Cooper cup, the only, the only difficult matchup for cup in the league is Arizona for some reason, Byron Murphy, apparently. And even with that pressure against Cup, they still couldn't get Robinson going at all. So there's a lot of dust on this offense, the way I see it. And uh, I, I don't. Th- McVeigh might be one smart coach or whatever, but I, I don't think you can. You can only polish a turd so much, and mm-hmm. I think we are at uh, maximum polish with this one. And the San Francisco side, it's more like they got more to work with. I just apparently can't trust them to do anything. Uh, other than play pretty good defense anyway. So that, that yeah. though is the point. I, I think that if necessary to make Ryan's just grabs the steering wheel from Shannon and just says like, I'm winning this one. Yeah. So I I think that, yeah, defense is going to kind of end up being the, the name of the game in in this one. And, and one that yeah, begrudgingly, I, I do like the, the Niners to, to find a way. I think they've had some success against McVay and the Rams uh, in the past, better McVay Rams teams that, than this one, even, um, so that's going to round it out for us here on the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, the Thursday edition, the uh, breakdown of the entire slate. Make sure you check in on Friday's episode, Ryan Belongi and Scott Jenstad breaking down the DFS must listen every week. If you're playing DFS, really good stuff from those guys. And of course, we, we've got pods going all week long, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're checking those out. Uh, That's going to do it for us here for Mario Puig. I'm John McCagney. Thanks for listening. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com 
forward slash try.